This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorns, startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Hey guys, welcome back to Breaking Banks Europe. Episode 208 series is Breaking Carbon. I am Matteo Rizzi, the executive producer of the show. Uh, happy 2024. I think it's like uh, we're going to mention it a couple of times uh, in, uh, in, these, uh, in these first episodes. I am here with Alexander Schmidt from Stockholm of Normative. Alex, welcome to Breaking Banks Europe. Thank you so much for the invite. It's a pleasure to be here. So Alex and I had a, a, a pretty cool interview uh, back at the Nordic FinTech Weeks, like a couple of months ago. It seems like a three lifetimes ago, but uh, it wasn't you know that far away. And and I thought it would be good, you know, back then we only had a couple of minutes. Uh, but I thought that both for the personality and the insights of Alex, as well as to shed some more lights into the whole uh, uh, carbon accounting uh, um, uh, topic, I thought it was worth it to, uh, to to give him a full a full episode. So Alex, why don't you start by tell us a little bit about yourself and about uh, what normative does? Happy to, yeah. No, you're right. The Nordic FinTech uh, week has been in September, I believe, but it feels like so much happened. Uh, I think some of which we'll get into, uh, hopefully, with the cause of this of this little chat here. But uh, first things first, I'm Alex. I'm heading Normative Science, Sustainability and Climate Research Department. Normative is a carbon accounting engine. So it means at the core, what we do is we provide companies, we help them to accurately account for, assess all of the greenhouse gas emissions. I often refer to them just as carbons or carbon emissions through a software solution, fully automated to make sure they get the full overview of their scope one, two, and three emissions. They get all the insights and activities they need to do to engage their supply chains. And then ultimately, of course, reducing their emissions towards the global goal of, of net zero emissions. Now, with my role, science, stability, climate research, that is really, you can say, focused on owning our scientific integrity. And as we know, and as we might get into in the course of this conversation here, science and the integrity of these carbon reductions and what's happening globally on the planetary scale is so, so important. It's so important to be accurate, to follow regulations, but also, of course, to really make a difference in the reduction race to a low-carbon economy, um, of course, especially in finance. Is that, is that, and, and we'll, we'll touch the, the, the finance whole ecosystem in a little while, but it, it, this whole introduction, is that one of the reasons why there is now the word accounting, you know, beside the carbon, which because like the two words immediately sounded, that was actually one of the things that uh, when we first met, I think it was the first question I, I asked, you know, 
why the you know this association because the it, it, it is not intuitive put it this way mm. well i i can't speak for where this term actually originated from who was the first one to claim ownership of, of this carbon accounting I do like the analogy to financial accounting because ultimately we should apply the same level of scrutiny that we apply to financial accounting, to bookkeeping, also to our carbon accounting. If you just think quickly about where does accounting come from? I mean, ultimately what we want to account for is, is not just like some abstract numbers, some like bottom line figures. Ultimately, if we're honest about where this all leads to, what monetary value brings us can buy us is well-being, right? Like ultimately it's about accounting for well-being. How well is our company doing? Meaning what is my own income, my personal well-being, etc. So we see or we hopefully see more and more of a shift towards realizing that it's not just about financial bookkeeping and numbers, but it's about well keep a well-being on a, on a more global scale. And there the carbon aspect is so, so important. So doing the carbon accounting with the same level of scrutiny that we count for other financial figures, I think this will bring us much closer to the original goal of accounting for well-being. So we don't, you know, let's not forget the fact that not everyone of our, you know, couple of million auditors are experts in, in, in the field, right? So let's like go a couple of steps back, Alex, and, uh, you know, pitch a little bit the lay of the land, okay? So we are in the, like a, a, like a sustainability, uh, ESG goals, uh, uh, you know the green economy. You know there are the, this the, the carbon footprint uh, is something that concerns uh, you know every person on the planet. It of course concerns companies even more simply because of the scale of the problem, right? So where this and of course uh, this can only be solved by uh, software, right? Because there is no way we can uh, um, you know keep trace, you know, of uh, all the footprint that uh, all, especially very large companies uh, are uh, living on this planet and there is no way to make it compensate. So, uh, uh, like, talk to us a little bit about uh, where, when did we start? How did we start this whole, like, uh, uh, software movement, you know, of different companies that are uh, trying to solve this problem? What are the different approaches? And then we go into uh, we'll go into uh, the financial services space and see what is the impact uh, because at the end of the day this is a fintech podcast yeah okay happy to and uh, please come in any time when i when i get a bit too into nitty-gritty maybe but um starting really from the the foundational because you asked the question where does it all come from I would say one of the major um, milestones here was 2015, the, the Paris Agreement, where actually nations all committed to, yes, we need to urgently reduce emissions from fossil fuels industry in line with science, because what we see is we're heading towards more and more, like global warming is increasing at a rapid pace. And if we don't keep track of this and control this and bring actually at least slow down the pace and then limit any kind of warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. That is the milestone that they set. If we fail to do so, we will breach the so-called planetary boundaries 
beyond which we don't know what happens, to be honest. We don't know what happens when all of the ice caps have been melted, um, because it might be irreversible. It might be that sea level rises are irreversible, or it takes you know hundreds of years for the system to adjust again. And this is not just about we care about you know, beautiful places, nature and, and stuff. No, it's also real economic uh, impacts there. So coming back to financial accounting, bookkeeping, you can forget about your books if, if, if the whole economic system doesn't work anymore because supply chains don't work anymore. You don't have any, any more pathways to actually ship goods and services. People are, 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 are there are a lot more climate refugees around the world. This will all yes. threaten our very basis of of living pretty much globally, economically, uh, in all kinds of, of regards. So that's where we started from. 2015, latest, the realization and the commitment from country leaders to reduce emissions. Now, countries, they don't really produce emissions, right? Like countries themselves, not like factories. They might be owning some of the, of the factories, but ultimately it's companies in the jurisdictions of countries Companies, private individuals, um, they contribute to the greenhouse gas emissions. So they make up the whole of greenhouse gas emissions in a country. So if country leaders commit to reducing emissions, ultimately it means the private sector has to reduce emissions. So, and there, of course, emerges the need to actually account for emissions. Now, just to throw out one name, the greenhouse gas protocol, that is the gold standard of how to account for your emissions. So that has been set up in this whole context. Of and this is global. I mean, it's been decided in Paris and, and, is, and everyone is a standard, right? Exactly, yeah. So greenhouse gas, sorry, uh, a Paris um, a commitment is an outcome of the UN climate uh, conference, the annual conference COP. You might have heard it. It was just yeah. happening in December. Actually, we were there as a company uh, that was part of the this end sprint of 2023 um, where nations come together, uh, uh, negotiate about what's the new commitments we need to uh, uphold to keep our eye on the 1.5 degrees Celsius uh, target. And in that context, greenhouse gas protocol has been uh, developed actually already earlier than that. The need was realized before. It's just the country commitment that came later. But now greenhouse gas protocol is pretty much the acknowledged standard though imperfect, but how to do accounting on that level. So companies follow the greenhouse gas protocol to account for their own emissions and also emissions across the entire value chains, realizing, you said it before, um, that, that especially large companies, they don't just, they can't just look at what do we do in our offices or maybe our, our storage uh, facilities. They need to look at what do I enable or what do I actually encourage in terms of emissions by demanding products, by producing our, uh, somewhere else around the world. What do I actually, what am I actually responsible for, accountable for uh, in terms of global emissions? How accurate, Alex, uh, can you be, you know, in... Uh, uh sort of uh, listing and and taking counts of the carbon emissions i mean and 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 again i am trying to to speak a, a, a language and even like give some images for people and myself as well to understand because i'm not an expert i'm here to make you like uh, say smart things uh, so if i'm a company is that like uh, the planes that i take 
you know the the you know how much people are commuting uh, that are commuting from place A to B, or is is just like big numbers? Because uh, at the end of the day, it is a collection of micro consumptions, right? That gives the big numbers, right? How powerful are these softwares to make this number you know counts at the end? Yeah. Uh, this is such a good point, and you're entirely right. There are different degrees of accuracy uh, that we see there, not just between different softwares, but also just in terms of what is feasible right now. Ultimately, of course, greenhouse gases can be measured, can be actually measured you know, in the atmosphere or at the tailpipe, for example. So, of course, ideally, we have meters installed everywhere at every physical outlet. So we would actually ideally measure the physical unit, the gases, right? Right where they are being produced. Again, a set like tailpipes can be trucks, can be ships, vessels, can be the chimneys of, 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 of factories. That's, of course, the ideal scenario. Let's be honest here, we don't have that data. So we need to get to some certain proxy. And what the greenhouse gas protocol does is it divides emissions into three different scopes. So scope one is really direct emissions from your operations, which is pretty much fuel consumption. There you can be quite accurate, even though you might not have a meter installed in your lease cars, trucks, whatever you operate. You know, for example, how much liters of fuel have you been purchasing? at the at the at the, at the uh, gas station so so that is quite an accurate metric because we know if you burn 100 liters of diesel that leads to x amount of emissions so that is very accurate i would say scope 2 emissions are mostly you can say your electricity what do you need to power your facilities it's a bit less accurate because you have the gray energy mix usually in the market you don't know exactly like this electron here came from that power plant unfortunately, but you can still be fairly accurate as to, okay, I purchase 50% renewable energies from solar and the 50% I purchase, you know, traditional uh, fossil-based uh, energy. So you can still have a fairly accurate estimate of your contribution through electricity consumption. But now comes your point probably or where you want to get to, scope three emissions. Those are the value chain emissions. Those are emissions where really we have to rely mostly on estimates because we are right now, most softwares are right now not at the point where they screen each and every supplier or each and every supplier is not at the point where they themselves measure emissions very accurately. Just as an example normative, we do supplier engagement. So that is already the first step you need to do. We do ask suppliers to input their figures, their scope one and scope two metrics, for example. But in scope three, it is important to make sure we also comprehensively cover everything. And we can't rely on every supplier being as mature as we want them to be. So we need to have fallback options with uh, industry average data to just know okay, this is a supplier of a certain region, of a certain industry. On average, when you purchase, let's say, a new phone, uh, these are the emissions inherently you know, in the production of that phone. So you need to have industry average data to fall back on if you cannot engage with a supplier to a degree that would give you very accurate figures. So what is, uh, what is normative in the landscape of the, of the software? I mean, it's like, uh, to use another image, it's like, uh, you know, for normal accounting, you have a zero and then you have a sage and you have like, uh, you know, other accounting softwares. Or, or 
you guys have uh, like a, a unique value proposition, if nothing else, because uh, it's pretty early stage, right, uh, in the in the space. So there are not many that are focusing on this. That is true. That is true. Yeah, I mean, normative. We've been actually around. I would say we're we're among at least the the, the oldest uh, players in the market. So we've been found actually in 2014. So that is pretty much uh, coincidental with the 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 Paris Agreement. To be honest, at the time, the appetite for carbon accounting was quite low. So at that time, no one has really felt the pressure and the need. Now, I think one of the key drivers is regulation, is competition. But more and more, we also see opportunities that are playing a bigger role. So companies realizing, hey, I can be a leader in this space, so I can actually get benefits of it. So normative, we've really built up very carefully our whole engine, our whole database, because it's so important. We have a deep, deep knowledge uh, with our experts from science, from academia, but also from industries, because you need to understand both parts. I, of course, often play the kind of um, the, the connective tissue between academia, the research, like what is right now happening there and the application. And then, of course, we have the big focus on accuracy in scope three carbon accounting. So in your value chain accounting, that is the piece latest where your own spreadsheets will break down. You might have spreadsheets that work well to keep track of fuel consumption, electricity, maybe that still works. But really the supplier engagement, the supplier data collection, making sense of it, making sure you spend your time where it's actually most valuable. I often have this example of you don't run around recycling office paper, but actually you look at where is my hotspot in emissions and you might be surprised where it actually sits and you might be surprised by how easy it is to take actions to at least make some first progress in scope through reductions. So value chain engagement, pretty much making the invisible visible, making the carbon in your value chain visible and with high degree of scientific accuracy and regulatory compliance, of course, I think those are the core pillars that normative software is resting on. So uh, intuitively, I would say that uh, it is much easier to understand the, the huge carbon footprint of uh, you know, Mars, right, for the big uh, shipping companies, right? And maybe a little bit less in, you know, financial institutions and insurances and, you know, asset managers. And, you know, you sent me uh, yesterday a, a super interesting uh, study that I only read diagonally, but I'm pretty sure that you dominate it. So what is the role of financial services in this scene? Yeah, it's, uh, I would say, twofold. So you have this whole ongoing net zero transition. So transition to a low carbon economy. And finance plays a major role here. Because ultimately, we have a 90 trillion US dollar finance gap that we have to bridge to enable all the technologies, all the, the shifts that need to happen in the economy to move towards this low carbon low carbon state. But why is this why this number 90 trillion? Where was does it a, come from? It's a report. It's an investigation. I think it's been in 2022. I can send you the 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 the, the link for your um, your your show notes, maybe if you have them uh, later on. But but it was pretty much illustrating the the financing that needs to happen over the course of the next uh, decades to actually ensure that we get on track towards a, a net zero economy. So 
importantly here is, of course, the number itself is huge, but also then it's not just about throwing money at the problem. You need to know where to throw the money at, right? It's, it's, it's a problem, but it's also a very opaque problem. So in order to know where the money should be going, financial institutions, financial services providers, they need to know which are actually the low-carbon solutions that they shouldn't be investing in. So that you don't invest in any kind of company, but you invest in companies, you have a portfolio that is in line with a low-carbon future, with a low-carbon economy. So realizing we have a finance gap for the big task at hand to transition, and then realizing that that finance needs to have clarity, transparency on where the money should be going. But then the other hand is also, the other side of it is also, um, it's also in, in it's, it's, it's inevitable for finance to transition in, uh, in a net zero economy. Otherwise, they will be left out. They will have portfolios misaligned with the future, with what regulations will, will demand of them. So there's a push and pull here for finance to be active and be a major player in the transition. You know, while you were talking, uh, uh, while you were talking, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, hearing the passion that you're putting in, in, uh, in your words, I wonder whether or not there is uh, some sort of a new breed of entrepreneurs, you know, that are uh, working uh, in this, uh, in this, in this economy. And it is true that uh, the only way to make huge companies, especially financial institution, move is through regulation so you have to oblige them to comply otherwise it won't happen but more on the on the startup technology and innovation side i wonder at the end of the day is always a money game right so it has to be a business that is sustainable etc etc but uh, when you talk with your peers especially with entrepreneurs and and, and startups do you see also a sort of a different uh, like philosophy in in doing business you see what i mean so i'm trying i'm trying to figure out if uh, there is uh, almost uh, a new uh, yeah a new breed you know a new uh, a new way of doing business uh, that uh, in the same way that you know impact entrepreneurs you know they care about the business uh, but they also care about financial inclusion you know in africa for example so is is do you feel this you know when you talk with your peers and with their companies or is still the same old you know let's just maximize the profit uh, just do it in a green way i to be honest i see both i i see the traditional way is dominating in many organizations um i think understandably so they are built you know Building, have been building up in a, in a different uh, kind of environment, uh, and it's been pretty much profit motive. You know, uh, Friedman's uh, whole comment around or premise around uh, companies' purpose is, is is to maximize shareholder value. I mean, that is ultimately uh, the game. Um, but I do see that they realize and will have to realize ultimately that it is in their own long-term interest, as I just sketched out a bit with finance, to align their own way of doing business with what is actually um, needed for a healthy transition to low carbon. As I tried to paint a bit the picture earlier, we will not have traditional working supply chains. We will have such a 
global crises if we do not work to stop and to limit the, the damage uh, done by by global warming. So I think they have to realize is maybe short-term business as usual. Yeah, that will probably be honestly the, the highest profit margin for them. But medium to latest long-term, and long-term I mean 10, 15, 20 years down the road. So within definitely, hopefully our lifetimes here, um, this will be the only viable solution you have. You can't close yourself off of the transition there. And what brings me or you know, brought me to the whole space is there is this idea of profit for good. I, I do not believe that just philanthropy will solve it all. We, we, donor, uh, you know, money is always much needed and much appreciated. It is also not the most efficient way of doing things. I, I do believe that a working business model around um, around uh, a, a, a charitable cause or like a positive impact uh, that is the way to go. And I mean, for us at Normative, for example. The way that we look at it is every customer that onboards with us, of course, they have a subscription that they take out with us. Of course, it's revenue stream, but it's also carbon calculated. So something invisible made visible. That's the first step on the journey to actually reduce the carbon. So yes, our revenue then goes up, of course, but also our impact goes up. The, the potential to reduce emissions globally goes up. And I think that's just highly motivating for not just all of my colleagues here, but also must be the the mindset uh, that the companies take on for the future. How can we align our business model with a thriving planet? Because if you only prioritize one or the other, um, it, it's, it's not feasible, it's not really uh, um, sustainable. I think that, and I would like you to develop it a little bit, uh, you know, you, you mentioned uh, the longer term, you know, vision that is important. Because uh, we are in uh, the struggle here is that uh, you have uh, a, an industry that uh, you know think quarters, you know, and uh, but uh, you know this space uh, is uh, you know to literally save our planet for the next uh, hundreds of years, right? I have teenagers, kids, and uh, I'm still you know decently confident that for them, uh, you know, it will still be, uh, you know, the kind of the same inertia that you are living, but for their kids, the world is going to be changed, you know, it's going to change dramatically, right? So how do you register, you know, or how do you see this dichotomy, you know, of uh, thinking in quarters versus thinking in decades? And, uh, how much education uh, and what needs to happen? You know, regulation is, is one thing, but uh, how do you see this very rooted mindset uh, to be able to change? I think it's one of the biggest challenges uh, that we have right now. Um, I, see, I find it very encouraging that we have, we get more and more actually behavioral scientists involved in this space, because ultimately it's about also behavior change. Um, you mentioned quarterly cycles, you know, for businesses to plan. Uh, we have next level would be um, election cycles. Um, politicians, of course, they look at the next election cycle. That's that's maybe maybe four years for them. That's not long term enough to 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 actually move things uh, um, uh, globally. We see inconsistencies in policies, right? Like things being taken back, companies, countries withdraw from agreements, for example, just because the the administration has changed. 
Um, and to draw on a parallel here with the COVID, for example, I mean, COVID was for me one of the examples of it is quite imminent, like the effect uh, of, of, for example, exposing yourself uh, in public as when we didn't know what this whole thing is about. And yet it was so, so difficult for people to wrap their heads around, I cannot go to this party. <laughs> I cannot gather, you know, in this crowd. While the effects were so, I mean, immediate, but only when really people saw what's happening around them. Oh, actually this, this colleague, neighbor, friend of mine was, has been uh, affected. Um, only then they started to, to change the behavior. So now what we ask of them, of, the, of, of everyone, public companies, leaders, is to not look at, oh, what's happening next week after a, a contact with a, with a deadly virus, potentially the deadly virus. We ask them to look at, oh, what's happening 25, 30, 40 years from now. And of course, that's a huge mental uh, gap you have to bridge there. But I do, I mean, it's sad, but I do believe that recent events have been starting to um, leave more of an imprint there. I mean, we see 2023 has been the hottest year record once more. And we see people really suffering. Maybe it's just on their vacation when they go to a nice tropic island and realize this is not pleasant anymore. This is not a place to be in summer. And then suddenly we realize uh, supply chain disruptions um, because of droughts, for example, and ships cannot go through canals anymore. And then we notice our Amazon delivery is not on time. Well, there are small impacts now, but these will accumulate. And the more we can trace this back to the root cause of climate change, of global warming, the more we realize, oh, wait a second, actually, this is more pressing than I thought. Um, it is still a big gap to bridge, no question about it. But that's why I also believe it is not just about like individuals doing their parts. It's about businesses realizing we have a leadership role to play here that is also well, pushed by regulation, but there's a huge opportunity. Like once more, there's so much, to be just honest, money in the market that you can make by having sustainable products. We work, for example, with Nordia to come back to fintech. Nordia is placing sustainability-linked products like loans to their business banking customers' uh, own carbon footprint. So there's a smart way of saying, hey, we want to know your footprint, but you calculating it also means you have advantages here. You get preferred access to products. And of course, it's a new revenue stream also for the bank. So there's a true win-win. Companies just have to realize it, that there is um, this opportunity in the market. You know, one thing that uh, it's... Uh... It's comforting me and, and, and gives some, some light, you know, to this, uh, to this whole matter is, uh, as I mentioned, uh, you know, one of my, uh, one of my children goes to university and he goes to like a Sciences Po in, in France. And Sciences Po is, uh, uh, you know, the, the school that is preparing the politicians of tomorrow. You know, that's, uh, it's a, it's a little bit, uh, it sounds like uh, elitistic a little bit, but, you know, statistically speaking, uh, most of the rulers of of the countries you know came from that uh, uh, from that specific university and uh, i read the program and it says that every single week uh, there is uh, either an expert uh, or a talk or a debate uh, or an exercise or a research based fact ex like exposition on sustainability I think it cuts some schools, you know, and, uh, and I wonder whether or not this is just out of my own curiosity, you know, 
if you guys go and 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 talk to like uh, the students you know and 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 the young people because let's not forget that these guys are the rulers of tomorrow you know and uh, and it's incredible because i start uh, you know they they were going now to uh to italy you know to for uh, for uh, for a week uh, uh, break uh, and uh, 19% of them didn't want to catch a plane to go there so they prefer they prefer to like uh, go 20 hours on the bus you know rather than on on a train uh, kind of the same instead of taking a plane that is something that was uh, completely unthinkable only a decade ago especially because plane was cheaper so plane in this case it was cheaper and faster so you know i, I don't know if you have experience of uh, how young people are also changing their mentality i mean one of my big big hopes definitely um i work a lot with students actually so in my in my role i come from academia i still work a lot with academia together uh, building up more and more partnerships also in this space and internship programs for students because I do see a huge interest uh, in students not just from sustainability linked uh, studies but also like I have interns from finance, I have interns from general economics, actually also creative, uh, uh, more creative uh, studies, arts that actually do want to get a glimpse into what it is like to work for a climate tech uh, scale up such as such as normative. There's a huge interest in there. There's a huge uh, conscious about what well, obviously among our colleagues a lot more than maybe the 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 average Swedish company. But 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 still, there's a lot of lot of lot of uh, conscientiousness about um, what can I as an individual do uh, through my own behavior, but also through my work and where I want to work for. And there are also figures and um, statistics about how actually um companies uh, sorry em employees uh, look for a, a, a company with a sustainability record that is positive that is in line with their own values so you as a company as an employer can make yourself way more attractive or you will be way more attractive to talent if you have at least a good sustainability policy or of course if you actively work in this space so we see a lot of, I find, encouraging movement there from young people. We just now need to get them, of course, into the roles, as you say, you know, politicians, etc., to actually be at the point where they make decisions, where they shape uh, global agendas. Alex, our time is up. Thank you so much for, uh, you know, shedding some light into this, uh, like, uh, fascinating uh, not so new world anymore but certainly super important uh, for uh, for our future uh, i suppose that normative.io is the website where people can know more that if is... i remember correctly right that's correct so thanks once again alex and uh, i hope you will have we will have more talks like this in the future thank you so much for being with us I would love to come back and thank you so much for the invitation. We enjoyed it. And it's a wrap. Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoke Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.